The Film Guide with Howard Linsky, part of the St Albans podcast with Danny Smith. Welcome along to another edition of the St Albans Film Guide with your friend and mine, highly acclaimed local author of note, Howard Linsky. Hello, Howard. Hello, mate. I do like to think that I'm their friend as well as yours. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, so we, what we do with the Film Guide is we look at Howard's Choice, the best films on free-to-air TV for the forthcoming week. We uh, also will look at a film that Howard has deemed too good to be forgotten. Uh, before that, we'll look at new re- new releases of original movies on streaming services. And before that, we start with a look at the new releases in the cinema for the week starting the 1st of September. And both of these films come out on the 1st of September. Howard, where are we starting? Well, we're going to start with The Equalizer, or more accurately, The Equalizer 3, which I'm not going to christen The Sequelizer. See what I did there? Yeah, very good. <laughs> now, you're probably familiar with The Equalizer. Well, we have discussed it in the in the past because it's pretty good fun. Um, American action film. It's of that sort of sub-genre where you get an ex-guy, sorry, an ex-Special Forces guy or an ex-CIA guy. And in this case, <clears throat> it is Denzel Washington um, reprising his role as retired US Marine and former DIA officer Robert McCall. Um, based, however loosely, on the Equalizer TV series, but it was we, we discussed that at length, didn't we? That it was yeah. fairly well based on the original character played by Edward Woodward. Yes, yeah, so so Edward Woodward's character was also called Robert McCall mm. and also had a special forces agency background. Yeah. They never said <clears throat> which agency he was with. He was always ah. with the agency, and it was one of the things throughout it that it was it was heavily assumed it was the CIA. Yeah, but they never actually said. <clears throat> but he had this this background. He had a particular set of skills and what. What he did was he basically advertised in in a local paper in New York and said like you know if if Do you if want the, someone's ass kicking if, yeah, well kind of it was like if the odds are against you oh, yes. if you need things to be yeah. equalized call this number oh, I like it and yeah. and then every week there'd often be normally two cases he'd be working on a week <laughs> one would be something relatively like a kid getting bullied at school oh, and, yeah. and 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 something like that and he'd help the kid and then some major thing that that was some poor woman being terrorized because she doesn't realize it but she actually witnessed a mob oh, hit yes, and the a mob, mob are going to get yeah, her yeah. and 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 so every week yeah edward woodward sorted it out and now it's also on the TV again on the small screen oh, you told um, me that. with yes. Queen Latifah playing Robin McCall. Robin McCall. And that's mm. been quite highly acclaimed. And I think they're oh, up to wow. something like the third series of that already. And there are rumours about would they join these together? Like, w- would Queen Latifah end up appearing with Denzel Washington? And I couldn't quite. See, I thought they're going to stretch believability with that somewhat given that they're both based on the same character you're absolutely right look what marvel do with their series they stretch out i mean they bring people back who are dead very routinely Uh, they give them sub-series they let but but this is grounded in the real world and this is not a a thing with any kind of superheroes or or supernatural things or anything else true and also you know her character is called robin mccall based on Edward Woodward's character and his character and Denzel Washington's character is Robert, Robert McCall. McCall indeed. And what is it going to turn out that they're, they're twins or something? I, I, oh, you know, gosh. It, I, so I, I don't know whether she's in this movie or not. It was rumoured that she might have a cameo but, yeah, but I think I don't nothing think, has been said. I don't think she's officially in it but you're right. If mm. there's a cameo where she suddenly appears that'd be quite fun. Yeah. But, but what <coughs> I'm interested about with this is the fact that this is Anton Fuqua who yep. has done some amazing films with Denzel Washington over the years, yep. including the previous two Equalizer movies. And also Denzel Washington, <clears throat> who's got a fine body of work. I mean, I'd defy anyone to come up with He's got a fine body, but well, you well, can't dispute that, really, for his age. I mean, you know, <laughs> I'm sure he's got his admirers. But, but, you know, fine body of work. I'd defy anyone yeah. to pick out a bad Denzel Washington movie. <clears throat> 
Yeah, even if the movie may not be brilliant, yeah. he's always yes, know, he is. He top has draw, absolute star presence, yeah. I think, and he can act as well. And prior so. to this, well, prior to the last Equalizer movie, he'd mm. never done a sequel in his whole career. Really, I didn't. And then that, suddenly, yeah. he's done two of them, so he must be invested in this in some way. Yeah, Anton Fuqua was the guy he that they won Oscars together, didn't they? Doing Training Day. Mm. And they've done other things together yes, as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all <clears> of that kind of says to me straight away, this is going to be good. Mm. Yes, I think it will be. I mean, I think um, if you like that kind of thing, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way, because I enjoyed The Equalizers, the previous two movies. Um, and yeah, I definitely see this. Um, it is a, it, You can laugh at the premise to an extent, because um, McCall decides to kind of... Uh, escape the hurly-burly of living in the US and he heads for a village in southern Italy which he soon discovers is controlled by the mafia or at least is about to be I don't know whether they're already controlled by the mafia or if it's a bit like a Magnificent Seven premise that the mafia turn up it's not very clear in the trailer but he then does his interesting as well because Anton Fuqua and Denzel Washington did the Magnificent Seven together. Oh, of course! Yeah, I never thought of that. Was oh, you see, I saw the original. Clever, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, I'm never clever. I mean, no. In fact, I'm forgetful. <laughs> I saw that not that long ago, actually, for the first time, because um, I like the original Magnificent Seven so much that I didn't really want to see the sequel. It's um, that I was kind of prejudiced against it, and it was quite good. Yeah, but you cannot beat the original. It, it's so good. It's difficult to compare. <clears throat> it's, it's sort of comparing apples and oranges, isn't it? Is it really? Yeah. I mean, it's, the the the, se- the the remake is a very good movie. It is. It's good, but yeah, it, yeah. It, it's not the original. That's right. Yeah, and the cast make um, that a, a, a good um, sequel. I think the, the various cast members in that are pretty mm. damn good. But um, I suppose it was a bit. Uh, I don't know. I think the character development wasn't quite as good as the the first version. But I think the first version was probably quite long, quite a bit longer. Bearing in mind that back in the day, you expected a double feature with a an intermission, and uh, you know, you were when you were at the cinema, you were there for half a day probably back in the fifties. But I digress again. Mm. Anyway, Robert McCall, as in played by Denzel Washington, gets to do his. Uh, yeah, I'm going to give you nine minutes to leave, and then I'm going to unleash hell kind of <laughs> act, which he does very well. And it is so. kind of you could, if you really wanted to be derogatory about this sort of thing, you can just say it's Liam Neeson all over again, isn't yeah, it? it? It's, yeah, it's yeah. It's a man of a certain yeah. age with a certain set of skills, and, and it's set in well, Europe. That, that's why I think, I, that's why I keep referring to it as a subgenre because it's an action movie, but it is a specific thing where you get some old guy who used to be a thing. Yeah. He used to be a SAS man, or he used to be in Delta Force, or he used to be CIA. And the amount of times you go on uh, Netflix or Prime Video and you look at a blurb for a movie and it says, former CIA yeah. man, ex-Navy SEAL, yeah. uh, accidentally finds himself in a scenario, it's a Jack Reacher type thing as well, you know, yeah. sort of ambles into town and finds that the world is imploding around him and he has to defend the weak and the innocent. What's quite interesting yeah. as well, I think, is that you can find pretty big names in the, in this kind of subgenre yeah. that you've identified there. Uh, Piers Brosnan has done a movie or two in this field. He did one I saw called The November Man where he oh, yeah. was some sort of retired yeah. agent who again gets drawn into and and Kevin well, Costner did one. I clearly think he was 007. Well, so he's retired 007, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to mess with 007. But, but <laughs> you know, but but it was far more sort of <clears throat> frenetic uh, taken esque, you know, and yeah, brutal than, yeah. than than his previous sort of um, <coughs> forays into the world of espionage, uh, and also um, Kevin Costner's done at least one. He did one called, I think, Three Days to Kill, where he played a right hard nut. Yes, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd forgotten the title of that one, but I did see that. I'm sure I did. Yeah, because yeah, I think a... it turns out did he get poisoned at the beginning of the movie? And he's That's only got right. three days left to live, yep, so he's sort yep. of think, oh well, you know, stuff it. I'll. Yeah, it was one of those movies where I quite enjoyed it, but I also don't remember hardly anything yeah. from it because. 
the, the premise doesn't really kind no. of matter. I mean, for example, this time we're talking Italian mafia. I think the either equalizer one or two. I think number one involves the Russian mafia, <laughs> but in America. So I don't mean it's in a derogatory way, but who they're dealing with is an excuse to kick them all over the place. And the, what matters is the acting, the, the quips, and the way he dispatches the villains, really. That's the main issue. Is it done stylishly or, yeah. you know, cleverly or what have you? Or is it just a, uh, a beat-em-up movie? I mean, they're making it very clear that this is the final chapter, yeah. which I believe was a tagline on one of the um, Friday the 13th movies. Oh, really? Like the third or fourth one. Yeah. They, they did about yeah. a dozen of those. <laughs> they did, But quite yeah. early into the franchise, <laughs> it was the final chapter. It's very easy. Just change the title to the sequelizer and you back on it yeah. again. You say, I'll, I'll give them that for free. Yeah. Or maybe yeah. a small check would yeah. be good. But, um, but, I mean, like you know, with all of these things, uh, I think that you, you have to... Um, uh, yeah, you, you, you've got to look at other... You know, it's not the, the plot alone is not going to sell it to you because it's been no. done a million times before. Correct. But you look at... The director, the actor, you know, the star. Uh, you, you look at those yeah. things and you think, well, you know what? It's you know what to expect. You do, but when do. it's with those people, it will be at Absolutely. a higher level. The one I liked, and I've forgotten the actor's name, but he was in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Brian, oh, oh, uh, Bob Odenkirk. That's the fella. Yeah, great yeah. movie. No, that was a good movie. And that fight on the bus, epic fight that went on way, way too long, but was was good because of it. It was extremely. <laughs> Um, you know, uh, chilling really. Some of the stuff that happened, and, to and him also and because the because that was like the first bit of action you see in that movie, yeah. and and that actor you've never associated him with no. anything other than sort of lightly comedic roles. Yeah, and you know. playing a, from memory, from because I haven't seen Better Call Saul in any detail, but I did see Breaking Bad. A fairly cowardly lawyer, somebody who just said, "Please don't yeah, shoot yeah, me," you know. Yeah. And to have him cast against type yeah. as a guy who beats up everybody yeah. was was remarkable. What a, uh, that was choreographed um, fighting of the. F- finest kind on that yeah. bus check that scene out and then watch nobody it's yeah good. nobody's brilliant but yes the equalizer three uh, out on the first of september uh, and also uh, reuniting uh denzel washington and dakota fanning oh, yes well i meant to mention that wasn't that sweet that she's uh, all grown up now as yeah. they say you know as an adult as opposed to the so kid he did, was it man, man on, on fire yeah yeah, yeah. With, and that was a tony scott directed movie ah, yes. which was probably treading similar sort of ground yep. to this because it was about <coughs> former special forces he's and, a bodyguard in this isn't he and he and he loses her and he has to get her back, I think, or something like yeah. that, or save her from something. Yeah. I mean, again, it's almost the excuse of the plot. You end up forgetting the plot. You end up going, yeah, what did Costner play again? What was he again? What was he an ex, this, that, and the other? But as long as there is an excuse to unleash this guy who's kept himself under wraps for a while and, and do what he's probably not like no he didn't like doing it in the past so he no longer does it and now he has a reason to unleash hell again and then and you're back into that world yeah so and 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 yeah so she was she was 10 when she did uh the man on fire with with wow. denzel washington and she's all grown up now but uh but it will be interesting to see that see it all back together again so yeah so yeah that's very sweet <clears throat> whilst sometimes i kind of think yeah i've seen these movies so many times before I am. I do want to see this one. Yeah, I, I think, think Denzel Washington will make there. it worthwhile. I think that's it. It's it's. There are dozens of quite poor imitations of this kind of thing, and then there are stars who can pull this off and do it well as long as they've got the script. And I think this will probably be quite entertaining, if nothing else. Yeah, it's what I would refer to as a Saturday night movie. Okay, yeah. that's the Equalizer three, which is out on the first of September. Also out on the first of September is Cobweb. Cobweb, yes, another horror film. We seem to always end up talking about horror films. I'm not a massive horror film fan, but um, I saw the trailer on this one. It looks suitably creepy. Um, it's basically a movie about uh, a boy lives in a, a new house with his mother and father, and he starts 
hearing creepy knocking on the walls and being a young lad it freaks him out and and he knocks and then the knocking comes back and whenever he tries to um, enlist support or help from his parents they kind of dismiss it as he's being silly and uh, over imaginative and uh, can't possibly place can't possibly be haunted but obviously we know it's a horror film so we're, we're kind of on the kids side here we know that this is genuine now I don't want to spoiler alert this thing um, or, or give spoilers because uh, I don't want to ruin the film for everybody but obviously he's correct there is something going on and he then starts getting advice from what is behind that wall whether that's good advice bad advice or um, you know poor advice um, I don't really want to uh, reveal too much but it is a creepy well made by the look of the trailer horror film with a, a slightly different premise I suppose but um, yeah it's all about being rather like the equaliser the, the plot is kind of the excuse to give you scenes where you will jump because someone's going to leap out on you or him or uh, the parents yeah I do I do like a good horror film mm, yeah you're but, more of a fan than I but the yeah. problem is yeah. there aren't very many there aren't around. very many good ones yeah and, yeah and so often they are just retreads of, of yes. previous things they're cheap yeah. to make they are and, mm. and they they often have casts in that you won't really know anyone in the cast yes so I think yeah. in and of itself if you recognise somebody in the cast that does it's possible a bit, yes. and, and, and <clears throat> things like The Conjuring for example you had yes. Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson and, and that elevated it straight away because you think hang on a minute those are people who are in like proper movies proper movies yeah yeah, you know, yeah and, and, absolutely uh, and you, you do get other examples like that you go back a bit The Omen with, was it mm. Gregory Peck? Yes. Was in The Omen? That's right, it was. And, and, and you had um, The Exorcist, which mm. which had... Or maybe they weren't quite as well-known back in the day, those who... Maybe the, not. Yeah. Um, I can't remember whether even the director was well-known at the time, but Freakin became very famous yeah. because of The Exorcist. Yeah. I think he uh, might have been known before yeah. The Exorcist. And, and I now can't think of the guy who played the old priest in it. Um, he oh, was a, a Swedish a long, actor, wasn't he? Very long time since I've seen it. Um, um, but uh, but no, I, I mean, as a sort of a rule, I do think that um, if if you recognise the names of somebody in it, it's yeah. probably quite good. If for no other reason that they had enough money to pay the salary yeah. of the guy. Ma- Max von Sydow. Oh, yes. That's who I, I was yeah. thinking. Um, and, and yeah, William Friedkin had done, I'm trying to think what else he had done. He was the French Connection, of course, oh, wasn't he? Oh, of course. Was that before? That would have been before, wouldn't it? Um, probably. I think well, that was slightly before The Exorcist. The Exorcist yeah. was 1973. The French Connection was 1971. And that See, got a whole load go. of Oscars, didn't it? It did, yeah. Um, and uh, <coughs> so, yeah, so he, so again, you know, you, I think this proves my point, isn't it? That, that you, if, if yeah. the director is well-known, if any of the cast are well-known, right. then the chances are the horror movie's quite good. Well, let me run these names past you then. The film stars Lizzie Kaplan, Woody Norman, Cleopatra Coleman, and Anthony Starr. Now, I must admit, I thought I'd heard of Lizzie Kaplan, but I then didn't recognise stuff. Or it's not that I didn't recognise stuff she'd done. I hadn't seen stuff she'd done, as it turns out. Right. So I didn't, uh, you know, it wasn't like, ah, oh, her, she's great. You know, she might well be, but I haven't seen her in anything. And the um, the directorial debut of for this movie, so it is a debut, so you won't heard of the, the director, is Samuel Borden, and it was written by a guy called Chris Thomas Devlin. So it may be a bit of an unknown um, team for, for your average horror aficionado right I'm uh, I'm trying to look up here to see if I can because t- normally I can tell you something yeah about you're normally very good at that you'll pick no. a guy and go oh, he was the guy who played this in that you know. don't recognise anyone the only person I recognised <coughs> and it was the surname I recognised is Luke Boosie who is a child who's in this movie 
And so I wonder, to Gary Busey. Well, I wondered if there's a connection to Gary oh. or is it Jake Busey? Yes, yes. So, uh-huh. so I think Jake Busey is Gary Busey's son. I think so, yes. And he, Jake yeah. Busey was in um, uh, Starship Troopers. Right, and yes. And I'm sure other things Starship as well. Troopers, well and it's possible that this... this Bonkers this, movie. Yeah, but <laughs> it's just possible that, that this Busey could be a son of Jake Busey, could be yes. Gary Busey's grandson, although it doesn't say anything on his um, oh. IMDb page, so I, I cannot confirm more. So yeah, no one in it anyone's ever heard of director yeah. directorial Looks debut. All right, if you because, like that kind of because thing. that means the director is quite cheap because they never made a movie before. <laughs> um, enjoy if yes. it's your sort of thing. Great. Yeah, exactly. Hi, I'm Elspeth Jackman, inviting you to listen to my podcast One to One with Elspeth. Find a local person with a story, and I'll be there to draw out all those little details you want to know about. If I'm fascinated. So will you be. Each week I'll be talking to an interesting character who has a tale to tell. And the beauty of it is you can listen whenever you want to. To find the podcast, go to your podcasting platform of choice and search for the St. Albans Podcast. Alternatively, go to stalbanspodcast.com slash Elspeth. That's One to One with Elspeth, part of the St. Albans podcast in association with the Hearts Advertiser. You never know, you could be my next guest. Two releases on streaming services this week that we're going to tell you about, both on Netflix, both out on the 1st of September. Uh, Where do you want to start? Uh, We're going to start with Happy Ending, which is uh, features a couple who are very much in love, celebrating their one-year anniversary together. They're called Luna and Mink, and they're played by, I think it's Gator Jansen and Martin Lackemeyer. But, you know, sue me if I've got that wrong. Um, the, so the premise is that although they're very happy together, um, he is unaware that she has been faking it in the bedroom since the beginning of their relationship. And Luna has kept this secret for so long, she daren't bring it up with him. Uh, she then does that uh, thing, I don't know if it happens in real life or just in movies, where she just tells her best friends all about the problem. So all the girls um, encourage her to be a bit more experimental and spice things up with him. So she then proposes having a threesome. And that is the sort of um, main plot point. So they have a threesome with a climate activist called Eve and uh, chaos then ensues. It turns Luna's life upside down because she likes it way more than being just with him. And there we go. That's the that is the premise, and that is the uh, the bit that they show in the trailer. And then after that, um, clearly she's got decisions to make, I suppose, about her life. Okay, and uh, and also just to say as well, this is um, a film from the Netherlands, and it's in Dutch. Yes, it is. Um, but you know, subtitles and all that. So yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, Depending upon what, what draws you to this movie, you may not care. Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah. Actually, yes, there'll be certain people who won't care. But uh, I don't think... I mean, I guess it would be classed as an erotic comedy. I don't think it's going to be that erotic. It says know. on here, romantic comedy. Romantic, there you go. Okay, I mean, that's what I assumed it was about when it said, you know, you've got this picture of this couple who seemingly are in love, and uh, but there is this twist that they are in love, but it's not going very well on the physical side. So, yeah, then they have this reason to invite someone else into the room. And, uh, yeah, I suppose it's... Uh, um, you know, chaos ensues afterwards. Okay. Plot point. Right. So, and we go then from that movie, a Dutch movie, to a Swedish movie. To a Swedish one, yes. It's also out on Netflix on the yes. same day. This is a completely different sort of movie. It's got a day and a half, and it's about a kidnapping, effectively. So, to reunite it with his daughter, Artan, who's played by Alexei Manvalov, 
takes his ex-wife Louise, Alma Poisty, I think it is, or Poisty, I don't know. Um, he takes her hostage, and uh, he, it says, uh, it's a bit weird, because it says, the premise says it embarks on a thrilling and emotion-charged road trip. Well, that's not how I saw it when I read the, sorry, when I watched the trailer. This is far more kind of an emotional and harrowing thing. It's a bit more gritty. Um, the guy goes to see his ex-wife where she works in a hospital, takes a um, prisoner at gunpoint because he wants to see his daughter. And we don't know all the backstory, but obviously he's clearly, um, I guess, unhinged is probably not too an unkind word, bearing in mind he's waving a gun around. But because he takes two people hostage, he then has to interact with both of them uh, in the car they're in while they're being followed by the police. So the police know that they're there. It's not like they've been spirited away. And they have to drive through rural Sweden during a hot summer with the police on their heels and, I guess, work it all out. And so it's quite a, you know, almost if it wasn't for the fact they were driving in a car and they're being followed by police cars, it almost feels a bit like a play because it's three people interacting and the guy in the front of the who's driving at gunpoint trying to persuade the other guy, this isn't who you want to be, is it? You know, that, that so there is a lot of um, emotion and anxiety conveyed from the guy with the gun and obviously the two people who are being held at gunpoint. Okay, uh, that's uh, a day and a half, which is... No, it's not, sorry. that Yes, it is a day and a half. Yeah. That is also out on Netflix on the 1st of September. The Film Guide with Howard Linsky, part of the St. Albans podcast with Danny Smith. We've reached that point in the show where we look at another film that highly acclaimed local author of note, Howard Linsky, has defined as... Too good to be forgotten. And uh, this time, sorry, always have an image of Max Hartington, who also hosts on here, <laughs> getting very mention. annoyed at this because he tries to do it and he fumbles it every single time. I don't do it deliberately. You know, I've, yeah. got to, I'm, I've got to be good at something, Christ. You know. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, Too Good to Be Forgotten is where Howard picks a movie that he indeed deems too good to be forgotten. And we're going to 1996 this time. Yes, and I think you do know this one probably because I think it cropped up ages ago once on a um, free-to-view film roundup that we did uh, but correct me if i'm wrong yes yes bound i only know this movie because we once a long time back featured Mm. it um and do you know what i'm pretty sure i said then oh yes i must watch this and i I don't think i have ah it's so good it's so good so it is definitely up there with the too good to be forgotten um uh, pack really because i don't think too many people know about it but um bound ought to be more famous really because it was the first movie directed by the Wachowskis, who went on to do the Matrix movies mm. and became huge, obviously. Now, this is a, a 1996 neo-noir crime thriller film, which they wrote and directed, and it is so really very good. It's on Prime Movies, so if you've got access to that, then check it out on there. Um, I started... Oh, wa- yes, it's actually it's on Freevee, which mm. means you can watch it even if you don't subscribe to Prime. Oh, I did you, not know that. I know yeah. That, yeah, so Free, I realised you didn't have to is, pay for it. But, yeah, uh, Freevee, <coughs> is, it, it has adverts, though. Right, it does, but, yes. But it's a free yeah. streaming service. I think you have to have the Prime app. Yeah. But gotcha. you don't have yeah. to have a Prime subscription. Oh, so, that's interesting. So, yeah, yeah so Freevee yeah. is... is uh, And I think increasingly now, TVs and other such devices and, you know, Fire Sticks and all those, oh, yeah. you can have a separate Freevee app. Yeah, um, and, and Freebie is completely free, and they, they, there's some good inc- stuff on there. I yeah, say. I mean, I've watched quite a few movies on Freebie. What I do like about Freebie, I do sound like I'm advertising them, but the, when you get a movie and it says it's free, but you have to have ads, you assume the ads are going to be every 20 minutes, and there's going to be lots of them. But it's not quite like that. And no. you just, they give you a quick ad, and then you're back in the movie again. I've, I've, and I like that. I've been watching a, a series on Freebie at the moment, and yeah, that the ads are very minimal. If you watch, for example, on yeah. four on demand. 
you get when you get ads, you get good five minutes of ads. That's exactly what I'm getting at. Yeah. That feels very much like you're watching terrestrial telly. Yeah. You know, the old fashioned way, but but Freebie's not like that. No. So yeah, to, so don't be put off by the you gotta watch some ads. Uh particularly for this movie. So um I think what elevates it, the the script that they wrote the Wachowskis is really, really good. The performances from the three lead actors are very good. So it features um, Jennifer Tilly, who plays Violet, who is stuck in a relationship, a long-time five-year relationship with a boyfriend um, called Caesar, who is a mafioso, brilliantly played by Joe Pantoliano, who went on to do things like The Sopranos. But he, he did a stack of stuff. But this is, this is perfect role as a kind of tough but also quite sleazy um, mafia dude. He and was he great in, in Memento, wasn't he, as well? Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I he was in that. Yeah, yeah he was very. Um, you weren't sure what to make of him in that. Yeah, he, he just. He's, he's a great character. Actor, he's isn't he's a really good character actor. And he's very good at playing a wrongin. Yeah. Um, but he's great in this, and there's a there's a terrific scene featuring him and a guy uh, uh, who is also in the mafia. He's the son of a mafia boss. They do not get on, and there's a great. I, I would spoil it if I say how it happens, but when he starts berating this guy um, halfway through the movie, it's a brilliant scene. But anyway. The premise. It would be very mean to call him um, sort of Billy Bob Thornton light, wouldn't it, Joe Pantoliano? Well, it would, but I know what you're getting at. But no, I think I just think he's very, very good. Yeah, no, no. Um, I sorry, maybe I not got the range of Billy Bob Thornton, perhaps. I don't know, but no, maybe I that's because he's cast know. that way. I think he's, he's he's nearly always cast as a bit of a sleazy villain, isn't he? Yeah, no, even in the Matrix. I think remember him in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He was the ro- he was the wrong in that, and as he was well. the boss in Bad Boys. He oh was yeah, Will Smith ah. and Martin Lawrence's uh, senior officer whatever oh, right okay um but uh, no i think he's very good um yeah. i didn't mean to be i was trying to be whimsical by six no because yeah, yeah. he does seem to have a similar range of performances to to the sort of things you can see billy bob thornton in mm. um but anyway carry on but what? yes a cracking character i agree um so in this uh maybe it kicks off with an ex-con uh, a female character called corky is played by gina gershon and she's uh, back in a day, back in 1996, different world. She is clearly gay, whereas Jennifer Tilly's character doesn't appear to be. She appears to be clearly straight and is also in a relationship. But Violet, Jennifer Tilly, immediately has a, a big attraction to this ex-con called Corky, played by Gina Gershon. They start an affair. Um, the Jennifer Tilly's character kind of points out that the only way she can really get away is to to escape this guy is to run and and take money with her. Now, luckily for her, at this point, a man she knows stole two million from the mafia, and it's Joe Pantoliani's character, Caesar's job, to get that money back. So this guy is tortured. He eventually gives up where the money is, and um, at one point, Joe Pantoliani's character literally has to launder the money. And I don't mean in a metaphorical sense. He has to clean the money, because it gets, shall we say, it gets... uh, a little smudged with blood and he has to get the blood off the money so while this is going on the the idea is the big mafia guys are going to come and collect the money so the clock is ticking on this he gets all the money ready to hand it over and they nick it while he's in the shower and when he comes out of the shower Gene, um, Jennifer Tilly's character convinces him that someone else must have stolen it i.e. another mafia guy and then that's when things get really quite complex and quite emotional as well, and it's very, very good. So I would urge urge you to watch it because it is indeed too good to be forgotten. Thank you. Uh, we'll have more from Howard in a moment. 
Hi, I'm Matt Adams, the heart of the Hearts Advertiser for over 10 years. Join me and host Danny Smith for St Albans Podcast, a weekly look at the news, views and reviews of the city and district of St Albans. As well as our delve into the local stories that matter, we regularly cover topics including health, food and drink, legal matters, the theatre scene and mental health. Alongside our regular features, we talk to people from our wonderful community, sharing some of the amazing work they do. Episodes are released every Wednesday at 7pm and you can find us by going to your podcast platform of choice and searching for the St Albans Podcast. Find out more at stalbanspodcast.com. The final part of the film guide, as always, starts with a look at Howard Linsky, highly acclaimed local author of note. I nearly left that bit out. Thank so you, I, mate. Well, yeah. contractually obliged. Yeah, you know. yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, um, yeah, we, we look at his choice of the films worth watching on free-to-air TV over the next week. So we start off with Friday the 1st of September at 10.01pm. Is that yeah, very that precise weird, or a typo? It? I know, I it wasn't a typo actually. Oh. It was very precisely okay. uh, listed. Maybe they have a little one-minute news bulletin at 10 o'clock or Who something. knows, but at 10.01pm yeah. on great movies. I'd start watching at 10 just in case. But, oh, yeah. but we have from 2017, American Made. American Made, yeah, this is a good one. I mean... Uh, obviously, again, I mentioned contractual obligations. We're contractually obliged to mention Tom Cruise every time I come on here, aren't we? Because he's done so many good movies. There's always one. But this is um, slightly against type thing. It is a bit. He sort of plays a wrong end. He does it rather charmingly. But it is, he is definitely a flawed character. Uh, it's inspired by a true life story, a guy called Barry Seal, who was a pilot um, who flew missions, would you believe, for the CIA. And I've heard of this before, where the CIA got involved in some very murky stuff in the 60s, 70s and 80s, where they weren't against the idea of allowing people to move drugs around in return for information, potentially. So he ends up being a drug smuggler for the Medellin cartel in the 80s. But in order to avoid jail time, he becomes an informant for the DEA. Um, as well as having flown missions for the CIA. So he ends up with this weird world where he could be killed at any minute, but he is sort of technically, um, he can't really be arrested and charged for what he's done because he has already sold his soul to the devil for the for the DEA people to, to um, inform. Yeah. And, he, and because he's protected by the CIA as well. So there is some funny stuff where he, other, other agencies try to arrest him and he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll be out of here by the end of the day. You watch. And they're like, no chance, pal. You know. And sure enough, they're left with egg on their faces. But it's, um, <clears throat> it's something I watched a while ago. It's six years old now. And I think I saw it more or less when it first came out. And Tom Cruise is his usual sort of charming self in, the, in this kind of thing. He's very good doing action with a bit of comedy. And um, it's well worth a watch. It was actually better than I thought it was going to be when I sat down to watch it. I was like, well, I don't know if it's going to be any good or not. But uh, he's good in it. Jesse Plemons is in it. He's obviously very good. Uh, Domhnall Gleeson, who you'll recognise as well, is in it. Um, and other, you know, numerous supporting cast. But it really is Cruz's film. And it's uh, directed by Doug Lyman. And uh, they've they've worked together before. Um, and Doug Lyman did the first Bourne movie, didn't he? He did The Bourne Identity. And he did Swingers, which was a very, like, cult indie hit oh, yes. in the, in the yes, 90s. Uh, so he, you know, did stuff that was a bit quirky. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, The Bourne Identity, which really redefined the whole oh, yeah, espionage yeah. action spy thing. I mean, Bond was influenced by it when Daniel Craig came yeah. on and did that. The, the fight scenes were very Bourne-esque, weren't they? And yeah. the, look of, the look of the movie. So it's hugely influential. I know Chris does like using the same directors, yeah. I've noticed. And, uh, yeah, and he was, um, they did Edge of Tomorrow together. 
Oh, that's um, good. The, yeah. Which is a very good movie. And they are currently looking at doing um, a sequel to that, I believe. I always think that Edge of Tomorrow is not a bad movie title, but Live, Die, Repeat is way better. The, the sequel they is going to be called Live, Die, Repeat well, there and you Repeat. Go. There you go. Yeah. It should be. Because I always think of it as Live, Die, Repeat, because it's such a good catchphrase, yeah. catch line or whatever. Yeah underneath the title but yeah, yeah. so uh, yeah so they're both working on that together as well um that but, was a good movie yeah so yeah. american made i mean from what yeah. i remember of it it was a film that basically was fueled purely by tom cruise's charisma all the way through the movie pretty much a, yeah, a lesser yeah. actor and it would not be a movie we'd be talking about yeah and because the guy's story is larger than life if it was fiction completely you'd be saying this is just daft but because it's based on the real story mm. You kind of go, well, actually, life is stranger than fiction. And in a way, that is something that Tom Cruise is known for. So, yeah, playing someone who's not an out-and-out hero is rare for him. But playing historic characters, you know, mm. play, you know, this is what he does. He does this so often. He rarely plays in every man. Yeah, Born on the Fourth of July springs to mind. Yeah. The guy that was flawed, but obviously uh, the main hero of that movie, Ron Kulvik. Yeah. Um, I had, there must be quite a few, I would imagine, over the course of a fairly illustrious career. The Last Samurai, I believe. Oh, was yes. that, I yeah. don't know how historically yeah, accurate I do wonder that if might that have was been. Historically accurate, but you're right, there was an American Samurai, I think you went over. Mm. Uh, yes, I'd forgotten about that one. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, he, he, this is something he... I was, I, I, I was reading something about Tom Cruise recently, and he kind of just said that he isn't very good at playing just an everyman, and it's very rare he does play somebody who's just a normal bloke. Yeah. You know, he, he's always playing, you know, like Mission Impossible, he's some kind uh, of super yeah. agent uh, yeah. or... Yeah, whatever, whatever else it is that he does. And yeah, then, Maverick and things like his larger-than-life character in uh, the Top Gun movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah. So uh, anyway, American made 10.01 p.m. Great movies, Friday the 1st of September. On Saturday the 2nd of September, two movies we're going to share with you. Yeah, the Kiss first one, <laughs> The first one, 4.20. Well, people can save them on their... Really? They, they can tape them, can't wow. they? And watch them on another day, maybe. tape save, a movie. That's save amazing. One I'm, I'm old. You've got to show me the technology where you can tape a movie and watch it when you like. But yeah. uh, but just let's just, for argument's sake, assume that it's raining on Saturday afternoon. Right. So 425 p.m. on 5 Action, we have, from 1954, the Glenn Miller story. Yes, this is an oldie, and I haven't seen it in a long while, but I did like this. Um, I mean, I, if you've not heard of Glenn Miller, and there are, obviously there are people much younger than me who probably haven't, um, he was band leader, but he was a very influential guy because him and his band were almost the soundtrack to World War Two, And I say that flippantly, but if you look at music that is associated with that era, pretty much, um, you know, Glenn Miller stuff comes up in Vera Lynn. Yeah. You know, they use that stuff as a backdrop. Every movie where they set any American GI in Britain going to a dance, mm. you will hear Glenn Miller coming yeah. out there in the mood and all that stuff. So, um, and this is his biographical film. and it's, it's See, I thought this was about a guy who was the leader of the Labour Party. Is it Glenn Miller Band? I thought that was... Uh no, but obviously that's not Glenn Miller Band, is it? That's You've lost me there. Sorry, completely. The 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 the, the, Labour, the Labour leader. Yeah, the former Labour leader. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't Glenn Miller Band. I was being funny. It was the Steve oh. Miller Band. No, it was David Miller Band, wasn't oh, it? Oh, David and, and, Miller Band. And oh, Ed right. Miller my, Band. But my yeah, God, I'm, but this I'm, was the I'm Glenn, deaf at the best of times. But this so is I've the, missed that completely. This is the Glenn <laughs> Miller Band, wasn't the it? Glenn they were known Miller as the Miller Band. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh man, that was a oh, difficult one. I'm sorry. One to, I'm sorry. That would have been funny. With Just a, edit that out. I mean, you should tell that story to someone who's not, you know, who's more of the races. You know, and even then say no, it's the Steve Miller Band. That was still funny because Steve Miller Band were, you know, in the the Joker, weren't they? I feel like should I just get my coat and get the call the taxi? That was hard. 
Call me a cab. I, I, anyway, I just, back to Glenn Miller. Let's gloss yeah, over the last Nothing to do with Ed Miller Band or David no, Miller Band. No, the Glenn Miller Band. Yes, mm. I'm with you now. Yeah, sorry. I'm, I'm elderly. You have to explain these things to me, you know. Yeah. At great length, clearly. Anyway, Glenn Miller, very influential figure. Sound of the sec- Second World War. Used to cheer up the um, the GIs and the, and the British soldiers, obviously, who were not knowing if they're going to get through the war, obviously. So it was the sound of the war, and his life story covers the war. And I, spoiler alert, um, he, his plane disappeared in the war. So it was a, a sad tale, but obviously his legacy carried on for years. The movie's an interesting one. He is very um, sympathetically played by Jimmy Stewart, who I do love. I think he's great, Jimmy Stewart. It's been a long time since I've seen this movie, mm. but do they make anything of the the mystery surrounding his his disappearance not really no because i have there have been different sort of stories yeah there have i mean the plane just disappeared yeah but whether it broke up over the sea whether it crashed whether it was shot down whether you know somehow the germans Mm. found out he was on it and they targeted him am i right in thinking that history now just assumes yeah it somehow crashed into the into the english channel and they all perished i think so i mean you know you will get they don't know how, but it's it was during wartime and there was a lot of shooting planes out of skies. Yes, of course. I mean, there was lots of planes that went down for various reasons. And the only real question is, did the Germans know he was on it and shoot him down? Did they not know that and shoot him down? Or did the plane malfunction and crash? So we'll never know. Um, but, you know, going after a band leader, whether they would do that or not, I don't know. <laughs> Perhaps it's not beyond them. But um, the story charts his life from long before the war. Um, and how he gets involved in the war effort because they used to travel around playing for people to keep morale up and it also features quite heavily his relationship with his wife and it's quite sweet I think from memory and I I remember seeing this as a kid and thinking it's a really nice movie Okay, around about the time I probably saw It's a Wonderful Life for the first time as well and thought Jimmy Stewart that's a there's a dude he's he's a yeah he was the very much the Tom Hanks of his time he was was, yeah I thought that on the way I was was driving over here I was thinking yeah that likability thing very much Tom Hanks often gets compared to him I think as a a Jimmy Stewart figure folksy all American yes all round appeal yeah but also by the way interestingly Jimmy Stewart a proper war hero yeah, you know, you would you would expect that he'd be the kind of guy who goes, well, I'll just carry on making movies for everyone's morale. And yeah. but he was he got stuck in and ironically was on planes a lot. Mm. He was a captain of a um, bomber uh, crew, and they did loads of missions. Okay. And um, yeah, he survived. So that's that's the Glenn Miller story featuring the Glenn Miller band and a bunch of other people yeah. who were around about those ages, make cameos, I should add. Yeah, like Louis Armstrong. Okay, and the Glenn Rubber Band. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 4.25pm on 5 Action, Saturday the 2nd of September. We move to Saturday night, 11pm uh, on Quest. Uh, amazing film. I absolutely yes, I like love this, this movie. Yeah. Zodiac. Zodiac indeed, yeah. So this, uh, when I first heard about this movie, I thought, I don't know if I'm going to like this because it's about an unsolved serial killer series of murders. And you think, well, if it's unsolved, where it's true stuff, you know, is it not going to be unsatisfying? But it is really good. Um, and I guess some of that is the direction from David Fincher. A guy, a guy called James Vanderbilt wrote the screenplay and obviously um, did a damn good job. And he based it around two non-fiction books by a guy called Robert Graysmith. One's called Zodiac in 1986 and one's called Zodiac Unmasked in 2002. The cast is really good. It's got Jake Gyllenhaal, Mark Ruffalo and Robert Downey Jr. With Anthony Edwards and Brian Cox and Elias Cotius and... Chloe Savini and I could go on there's Demetra Rooney's in it there's a very long supporting cast of very good people so they all bring something to the party there uh, and it's it tells the story of the manhunt for the Zodiac killer who was a serial murder who terrorised the San Francisco Bay Area 
during the late 60s and early 70s. And he also taunted police, as is often the case with fictional um, serial killers, but he did it for real. Sent them letters, bloodstained clothing and ciphers, which he mailed to newspapers. So the cases were still unsolved and the people involved in it worked for the newspaper that used to receive these ciphers and they, they go on a hunt for this guy. And it's very good. Uh, I saw a, a, a great documentary about the making of this movie and uh, one of the things that, that David Fincher did, because nobody knew who the guy was, uh, the, the killer, and they um, there were, I believe in the movie, there are three times in the movie where he appears, where you see a glimpse of him. And each time it's played by a different actor. And oh. each time... It was the actor's appearance was based upon the eyewitness description at the time of that particular incident because the eyewitness descriptions of the Zodiac killer never matched. Wow! And people had said, you know, he was short, he was tall, he was old, he was younger, and so um, that was part of the problem. But they were fairly sure it was the same guy, but the the, the eyewitness descriptions never matched up. So David Fincher, as a tiny attention to detail, made each time that you saw a glimpse of the killer on screen and there's a couple of times where you sort of saw him in the shadows or you saw saw him from a distance oh, and it was a different actor and it and was he, to match the apparently Fincher did with, along with the writer and uh, the um, other members of the crew uh, they they did spend some time doing their own investigation yeah. to see if they could solve the crime So and, and a great bit of film trivia here is that people may know that Dirty Harry the, the Clint Eastwood movie was, was based on their, their killer was called the um, oh, oh, I can't remember. It either. was it was a specific star <coughs> I sign. I can visualise him. I can yeah. see him. Yeah, he was something yeah. like the the the, the Sagittarius killer or, oh. or something like that. Um, but it was based on the Zodiac killer. Oh, right. And uh, and and there's a there, that's in the movie. They actually show that um, a screening of Dirty Harry, and they the investigators mention how this is based on. <laughs> and, it, and I think it was quite embarrassing for them the fact that that Dirty Harry could catch the killer but but yeah. in real life they couldn't the I guy mean, was still I out mean, dirty harry's amazing isn't he you can catch anyone so, yeah you know. um, <laughs> but, but but they showed a bit where they showed the audience in a cinema in san francisco where they premiered dirty harry and they premiered zodiac i believe in the same cinema oh, wow. and so there's a whole bit where the, where there would be people in the audience watching the premiere of what you know in the for the premiere of zodiac watching the room they are in on the screen with wow. people watching Dirty the Harry. Premier of Dirty Harry, I like that. And, and yeah, that, that, that sort of, um, the Scorpio Killer, that was what he was called in Dirty Harry. Ring. Yes, now you've said it. Yeah. Obviously, it sounds... It, it, uh, he was the Scorpio. The big bells. Yes, yeah. but it was based on the Zodiac Killer, mm. except, yeah, they never they never caught the guy. And But yeah, what a wonderful, great example as well of what David Fincher can do. You know, the guy who brought a He's seven. He's a really talented yeah. director, isn't he? He's done some amazing films. Yeah. So Zodiac, 11 p.m. on Quest. Uh, let's go to Sunday, the 3rd of September. And uh, the first movie we're going to mention on Sunday is 3.35pm uh, on BBC Two, The Remains of the Day. Yeah, I love The Remains of the Day. I've read the book as well, but the, the movie in particular is a great adaptation of Kazuo Ishiguro's Booker Prize winning novel from 1988, sorry. And it's, as we said, it's 1993. <clears throat> it's set in, another date for you, it's set in 1958. It's um, the post-war world and Stevens, the butler of Dartington Hall, played by Anthony Hopkins wonderfully. Um, he is picking up the pieces because his previous employer, the Earl of Darlington, has died a broken man because his reputation was destroyed by his pre-war support for Germany. He actually kind of wanted peace, so he wanted to try and, as a lot of people did prior to the Second World War, he wanted to avoid war 
and he wanted to build bridges with Germany, but of course that means then becoming almost sympathetic to the Nazis if you're doing that. So it destroys his reputation. The stately home that he used to own has been sold to a retired US congressman um, who uh, now owns the place and uh, basically keeps the butler in place. So, you know, uh, Stephen's the butler. is kept in place to try and run things for him. And he makes a suggestion because he gets a letter from a woman who used to work with a former housekeeper, Miss Kenton, uh, played brilliantly by Emma Thompson. Um, and she's had a change of circumstances and her marriage isn't going well. And there's a chance that Stevens could possibly come and get her to come and help him run the house and sort of rescue her from her current life. And so he borrows the Daimler from the uh, the, the new owner and sets off to, to find her. And you get the story of their previous life told in flashback to the pre-war era and everything that was going on in that house. And it's fabulous. It's really, really well acted. <clears throat> it also shows the life that they had, but it's not a kind of Downton Abbey, rose-tinted kind of version. It's more about the way that house was run, all the stuff they thought was important, you know, the positioning of the cutlery and making sure that certain things were in certain rooms and everything was cleaned, um, you know, ridiculously uh, often and very formal world they lived in. And Stevens's tragedy is he can never let go of that formality because he was basically in love with Miss Kenton, but he didn't really show it. Okay. Uh, and look out as well for, for a very young Hugh Grant in the cast there somewhere. Yes, it's it a great scene where um, Lord Earl, the, the, the Earl of Darlington or Lord Darlington asks the butler, uh, he says, oh, Stevens, I've been rather busy and um, I haven't had enough time to um, explain to my godfather, who's, um, sorry, my, my godson rather, who is about to get married. I've not had a chance to have a word with him about, you know, the facts of life. So could you do it? And Stevens has to go and check that he knows the birds and the bees before he gets married. And it's the most hilariously kind of, um, you know, Hugh Grant completely misses the point he's making and the scene's very awkward. And uh, But yeah, one of many good scenes in that movie. Who would have thought uh, Hugh Grant could play awkward? Yes, I mean, he does it rather well. He should he should have done it more often. Should have made he? a career out of that. Yeah, he should have been a bit more bumbling and posh. Yeah. Okay, yeah, definitely. That's the remains of the day from 1993, 3.35pm on BBC Two, Sunday the 3rd of December, September. We move to uh, Sunday evening, 9.10pm on ITV1, No Time to Die. No am time I, to am die, I right yeah. in thinking this might be a premiere showing of this? Because it the film well didn't be. come out that long ago. <clears throat> no, it's uh, two years ago and uh, we have discussed it in great detail and everybody knows... I mean, unless you've been living on the moon for the last couple of years. It's the final outing for Daniel Craig, fifth and final portrayal of uh, James Bond. Uh, it was uh, a massive hit. has a kind of controversial ending, so I won't spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it. But if you haven't seen it, I think it's great. I think it's really, really good. Um, it's got Leia Sado reprising her role as his uh, partner in this, but they're um, uh, not together at the start of the movie. Uh, ben Wishaw's back in it as uh, Q. You've got Naomi Harris, Jeffrey Wright, Christoph Waltz, Rory Kinnear and Ray Fiennes as M. They're all back. Um, Remy Malek is a very good, convincing Bond villain, very creepy. Uh, Anna Dianis almost seems the entire movie. Oh, yeah, she's, she's only fantastic. in a brief scene, isn't she, really? Yeah. She's not in it much, but wow, is she good in is that. Is she ever good? Yeah, so she should have her own spin-off series. In that. I, I'd love to see that movie. I believe yeah. there is a film that is out at the moment which is not a spin-off to this, but she is playing a, a similar character. Uh, I'm not surprised. She's kicking so. some butt. She is. She does it very effectively in yeah. this, but she does it with charm as well. And, like, 
uh, the whole premise of her, she's only been supposedly been doing the role for three or four weeks or something. She had a couple of weeks of training, which is clearly a fib. But uh, anyway, Bond has left active service at MI6, recruited by the CIA, of all people, to find a kidnapped scientist, which leads to a showdown with the powerful and vengeful adversary and with a technology capable of killing millions. And it's all very good, and it's very poignant as well. It's a great way to sign off um, for Daniel Craig, and yeah. Yeah, he, unlike the other Bond it. movies, his series of Bond movies really told a complete story. You saw the beginning, the middle, and the end yeah. of, of his character. Uh, and much like Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy did the same with Batman. And uh, and, and I, think it's, I think that's a pretty reasonable comparison to make really yeah. how Christopher uh, Nolan more human, and Christian Bale gave a dimension to Batman and we saw the origin of, of Bruce Wayne and we saw the conclusion of Bruce Wayne and and and, and told that story in, in three beautiful movies mm. and uh, and I think Daniel Craig's done the same with, with his five Bond movies yeah and it really was a great way to sign off I think it's yeah. very very good yeah, yeah. Um, I mean I think <clears throat> In fairness, not all of Daniel Craig's Bond movies were were of the same standard. You know, you had some highs and you had some lows. Yeah, Quantum Solace. I really uh, that that wasn't great. Um, the first one was brilliant, Casino yeah. Royale. I thought, and the other two, I, I enjoyed them, but they were you kind well, of Casino got Royale what you were and Spy for. and Skyfall were probably the two best mm. without any real stretch of saying that. And it'd be difficult to say which one was better out of those two. I think they, they were both amazing. But this is a worthy addition to, to, to his oeuvre yes, of work. I think it's great. Bond. I mean, I think gen- generally speaking, those five movies do stand up and you put them to collectively together. Yeah. Um, and uh, Casino Royale had a great impact because people were wondering what to what he was going to bring to the role and I thought it was a fabulous movie and people, a lot of people <coughs> questioning it a lot of the tabloids yes, were against the casting he's a blonde he's bond he's too short he's, he's a scout yeah. servant they had all these objections to mm. him and they quickly forgot about that oh once the opening sequence was out of the way yeah. I always thought this guy's good and I, was, I always liked him as an actor I mean I remember him from our friends in the north back in the early 90s sorry mid 90s and I loved yeah. him in yeah. that so I was confident but blimey he was good okay something I didn't know at the time and this is about the director Kari Joji Fukunaga um, he was involved with the creation of the series True Detective oh, yes, Woody Harrelson yeah. and Matthew McConaughey mm. and I as a, just a pure coincidence watched that series as this movie came out yeah it was good and the I first series and I didn't know straight away that there was a connection I mm. didn't I didn't pick it up immediately but there's one of the one of the episodes there is a very dramatic scene with Matthew McConaughey raiding a, a house I think where there where there's a load of um, gang, gang members or something yes that and, it's, about, and it's all quite, done in a single shot a single yeah, a shootout yeah and, 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 and it's just one continual tracking shot with, with him storming into the house shooting everyone in it and getting out again and it's it's breathtaking you, you do you hold your breath watching this this sequence that was done without any cuts whatsoever just in one tracking shot which a bit like um, 1917 oh, yes. Sam Mendes does it in a whole movie so to do it for five or six minutes is, is maybe not much but it was breathtaking and then he did the very same thing in No Time to Die there's a sequence toward the uh-huh. end of the movie and it's if you've if you've seen it it's where he's about to run up some stairs and somebody drops grenades down, oh, down the stairs. Oh, yes, And yes, that whole yes, sequence that. is about four or five minutes. Yeah, so there's a lot of shooting in that. Yeah. And a lot of people he has to take on. Yeah, and yeah. throw people off of stairwells and yeah, all sorts. Yeah. And it's all done in one <clears throat> tracking shot. Wow. And, and it's, I think it's the longest tracking shot in a Bond movie. And, and it's very impressive. And, and it was something that, that, yeah, the director did that in True Detective first. And it worked ever so well. Um, so uh, yeah just a, a little sort of mention of him because yeah. I think we talked 
a lot about all the other elements of this movie. But but that's true. But yeah, the director did a very good job with this. It had nothing to do with the fact that I know I would have stumbled over pronouncing his name, so I left that to you. You know, Carrie Joji Fukunaga. Yeah, I'd have been Carrie Joji whatever. Yeah, because I'm not the best when it comes to you know. The trouble is when you read something, you don't necessarily know how it is pronounced. So well, well, I mean, I'm not 100 percent sure I've got it right, but you hit it with conviction. Yes, well done. Hit it with confidence and keep saying notes. I used to do. I used to be the stadium announcer at St Albans City Football Club, and I I wasn't sure if I was pronouncing half of the players' names correctly. Oh, and uh, yeah, I'd said them with such conviction that occasionally a player would look up from the pitch to where I was and, and was thinking, you could see the look on their face. <laughs> Have I been getting it wrong all these years? Is yeah. that how it's said? <clears throat> Fantastic. Anyway. They question themselves and not you. <laughs> yeah. No Time to Die, uh, 9, 10pm, ITV1 on Sunday the 3rd of September. Let's move to Monday the 4th of September and we have 10.55pm on Legend. Sweeney. Yeah, Sweeney. Just as much as anything, I have a little throwback to see what life in Britain was like in 1977, um, if you were a police officer and a gangster. Um, so you, most people have heard of the Sweeney, the big TV series that ran for years, uh, and it starred John Thorpe before he went on to become Morse. He plays Detective Inspector Jack Regan. He always has his sidekick there, Detective Sergeant George Carter. Now, this was such a successful series on TV that they had not just one, but two spin-off movies. So this was the thing, wasn't it? In the 70s, lots of British TV series were getting... And and it was largely sitcoms which were getting made into movies. Porridge, for example. And some of these movies were massive. I think Holiday on the Buses was the biggest film of 1971... And I think it's that one that beat Diamonds Are Forever in the box office Isn't that, that year. Isn't that amazing? I suspect those buses were cheaper than the Diamonds, you know. I, I, so I've actually, got a feeling uh, that it's partly because these these films were dirt cheap to make. And so yeah. the, the, the percentage profits were huge when, when they did quite well in the cinema. Yeah, and they were almost the comedy ones. They were almost a bit like carry-on movies, weren't they? They were a little bit... It was a, often an feel. overlap of, of There was always actors. a bit of sex, a bit of naughtiness in there. Yeah. But this one, um, obviously, is more, uh, well, it's, I, I guess you would call it like an action thriller. And, and um, in the same sort of feel to it as another movie that you recommended not that long ago that was a spin-off, Callan. Yes. Because yeah. Callan was probably a year or two before, I mm. think was around about 75, and this was 77. But if anything, this was more brutal than Callan, and yeah. Callan was quite brutal. We do, I think what we do as, as a British film industry compared to say Americans, we don't have the budget, we don't have the pyrotechnics maybe, but we do gritty pretty damn well. And that's possibly why we do gritty very well. So there's not... You know, loads of machine guns, and well, actually, there is a machine gun, ironically, in this because one of the assassins involved in it uses a machine gun. But what I mean is, there aren't those huge shootouts that you sometimes associate with American movies where everything's exploding and everyone has a machine gun or a rocket launcher or whatever. Um, this is very much a couple of Brit police um, officers, uh, and the plot involves political scandal involving a leading member of the British government played by Ian Bannon, a guy called Charles Baker. Ian Bannon's a fine actor. I always think of him as Tinker Taylor, Soldier Spy. He's very good in that, uh, the TV version, I should add. And he's about to skewer a huge deal with OPEC, uh, the petrol people, the oil people, uh, to stabilise the world oil market and boost Britain's position within it. And he's a rising star in the government, um, and he's controlled by... A manipulative American press secretary, who's actually played by Barry Forster, who's a Brit, um, and they come into contact with the Sweeney. Uh, Regan is, in a time-honoured fashion, is suspended from duty. You bet, bet you didn't see that coming, uh, because he he gets intoxicated and drives a car into a crowded marketplace, um, and so he's he's told. But he was framed, wasn't he? Uh, he was. Yes, he's forced to drink alcohol. 
Um, and despite being framed in that time-honoured manner, he comes back in order to investigate something that's happened. And I believe, from memory, it involves a girl that uh, winds up dead and, you know, who, who, who was responsible for her death. And it becomes a, a political intrigue, scandal, etc. But again, the most important thing is you get to see John Thor and Dennis Waterman shouting at each other a lot. You know, <laughs> get your strides on, son, your yeah. nicks, that kind of thing. Uh, ably supported by the aforementioned Barry Foster and Ian Bannon, also Colin Welland, Diane Keane, Brian Glover and Linda Bellingham are in it. Yeah, and, and this was also quite quite something because um, this was made whilst the Sweeney was still on TV as well. This came out That's right. um, before the series finished. I yeah. think I think the, fin- the series finished the following year. Right. But this was so so you got to see the big action, the big screen version of the Sweeney, which also was far more brutal than the TV yes, version. There was a fair this old, was an uh, 18 certificate. Yeah. And, um, and, and I can imagine that there might have been younger people maybe who watched the Sweeney on TV who may, might have been a bit disappointed they weren't yeah. allowed to go and watch it in the cinema. And then they had the, the follow-up with the Sawn-Off Shotguns. Uh, do you remember that one? Yeah, the Sweeney 2. Yeah, there you go. Which came out the following year mm. and was, um, I think, was the end of the TV series. I think they, they finished the TV series and made the second Sweeney movie. Right. But, uh, but yeah, never never made a, a, a third one. Um, but it was, yeah, that was good too. And, uh, yeah, it, it certainly was, there was enough demand for, for the first movie, enough people went to see it to generate a sequel. So yeah. It did well. Yeah. So uh, yeah, Sweeney, the uh, the 1977 movie, Dennis Waterman, John Thor, uh, do it, doing what they did best. Yes, uh, lot, lot of Shouting smoking, a lot of drinking, drinking, and yeah, yeah, uh, girls and fighting. Yeah, lots of fist fights with gangsters. Yeah, I uh, love it. That's uh, Monday, the fourth of September, 10:55 p.m. on Legend. Let's move to Tuesday, the fifth of September. The final movie we're going to recommend this week, 9 p.m. on Film Four. It is the day after tomorrow. Yes, so this is a 2004 American disaster movie, sci-fi disaster movie, um, and it's a Roland Emmerich film. Uh, it got, it's got Dennis Quaid in it, Jake Gyllenhaal again, uh, and Ian Holm, who I think is always great. Uh, and it's uh, it's a bit of a, well, how can you put it, it's a global disaster movie, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, it's, it's a know, big... Quite a genre of those these days. Yeah, I mean, this was in the 70s, of course. This was all the time there were these disaster movies. And and then Mm -hmm. this was something that was in, in a way, was sort of, you know, a nod to those movies. Yeah, and I think it started... Owen Allen, wasn't it? It was the producer who made those movies. The Towering Inferno. Towering Inferno. And and there were loads of them, weren't there? There were. And uh, the the idea that the disasters that could be uh, world-ending, you know, uh, a global... um, disaster that affects everyone and so i I mean it's not the best movie ever but it well cleverly depicts what happens if the climate goes horribly horribly wrong because we don't learn from our mistakes and um there's a it ushers in a new ice age basically so the characters in it have to struggle in their small worlds with a wider world disaster and it's yeah it's one of those movies to sit by i sometimes describe movies as a saturday after uh, saturday night movie this this might even though it's on tuesday it's a sunday afternoon movie sit down and watch the world end with your family and um yeah i remember it being pretty good i haven't seen it for a long while it came out in 2004 um and you know the, the, there is elements of it that would stretch um your credulity but um you know people holding up in a library to avoid a light, an ice age for example and burning the furniture or whatever it is they did stay warm but yeah it's good it's um other than that it's good it's okay well, well worth a watch yeah um and, and again somewhat elevated by its cast i mean Je- i think so jake yeah. uh, gyllenhaal i think was possibly this was the an earlier part of his it career is, yes uh, but dennis <clears throat> quaid 
uh, sort of very Dennis seasoned Quinn is good, actor. Isn't he? I mean, yeah. always good in whatever role he he always elevates whatever role he's in. Um, so you kind of know you're in safe hands when he's playing someone's yeah. dad who has to come and rescue his son. And and yeah. and Roland Emmerich was behind um, Independence, Independence Day, Day, wasn't yes. he? And and God's they did a version of Godzilla, didn't they, around about that time as well? And and was was he likes to break things? Yeah, they? yeah, was and, good uh, at making big budget things and breaking destroying everything. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed one of his trademarks is to destroy something that's been there forever, much loved, uh, a building or a monument or a statue or whatever. And you see that now in other movies where they'll just blow up the Tower of London or the, what, you know. wasn't it in Independence Day where they did they blow up the White House mm. and you saw the aliens blow up the White House and then and then they spoofed it in um, uh, the, the Tim Burton thing Mars Attacks where they oh, sort, yes. sort of blew, blew up all sorts of, I think they blew up the Taj Mahal and they blew up Big Ben and they, they blew up <laughs> other things and, and you see the aliens giggling as they blew up all these great <laughs> world landmarks and it was a little a little nod I a think a little nod to it yeah, yeah I don't like that but yeah, the, the day after the tomorrow, the star is very much the special effects, and uh, yeah. but but you know, uh, not a bad supporting cast around them. Yeah, it's entertaining. Yeah. yeah. Okay, and that's uh, nine p.m. on Tuesday, the fifth of September. Howard, which of those movies well, is going to be your movie I of think the week? After bigging it up so much, uh, no time to die. Got to be the Bond movie. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm go for that one. Wow. Uh, there are other movies I love. In that, you know, I mean, remains of the day I love. See, uh, I thought but, the Glenn Miller story because it was set uh, around World War Two. I thought you were going to say it was set when you were a young man or something. <laughs> I don't think you were that young. But no, it's what World War Two. you see. Yeah, I thought, yeah. you know, a bit of a Oh, well, yeah, I suppose it's technically a war film, but not, not really showing a lot of war. <laughs> but I'm going to go with Daniel Craig signing off. And it's one of those movies, if you've not seen it, definitely watch it. Mm. And if you have seen it, watch it again, because I've seen it twice and it's very, very mm. good. And it's a good opportunity yeah. as well to, to, if you have the ability to, to go back and watch his other movies. You know, go, go and re-watch yeah. the earlier ones, because they're amazing. They are. They are so good. Even the weaker Daniel Craig Bond movies are still worth watching I absolutely agree with you on that great stuff uh, Howard Linsky thank you very much you're very welcome and uh, coming up next week on the film guide it is the return of Chris Aikman